You have been believers for so long now that you ought to be teaching others. Instead, you need someone to teach you, again, the basic things about God's word. You are like babies who need milk and cannot eat solid food. For someone who lives on milk is still an infant and doesn't know how to do what is right. Solid food is for those who are mature, who through training have the skill to recognize the difference between right and wrong. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for bringing us all here so that we may worship you, Lord. We may learn about you, Lord. We may be directed to your glory this morning. Lord, I ask that you bless our, our, the rest of this uh, sermon today, the rest of this service. You would bless this congregation sitting here. Lord, I ask that you would open our ears, that you would open our hearts, that we may hear from you and wait, we may receive your word well this morning. Lord, that it may affect the way we live as it is supposed to. Lord, that it may even convict us. Lord, I pray that you be with Pastor Doug as he comes and preaches your word, Lord. I ask that you would give him such boldness in your truth this morning. Lord, I pray for the rest of our service that's going on. I pray for every volunteer. I pray for every person who who, uh, brought food to share at our brunch coming up after our Sunday school. I pray for our Sunday school teachers. Lord, I pray for all these things that are going on, and I ask that it would all be for your glory. Each and every aspect of this service, Lord. Each and every part of this day. Lord, I pray that we would just see you this morning. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I publicly want to thank you as a congregation, leadership board, for allowing my wife and I to be away last weekend. We were down in Maryland near the Antietam battleground, staying at a bed and breakfast, and the startling statistics that we never knew before became a stark reality that in one day's battle, 23,000 casualties. It only lasted one day. 23,000 casualties. Brothers fighting against each other over one issue. And the issue was slavery. So it's uh, startling in the fact that we read every plaque there was in the Vineyard Center. We sat in a reenactment video of the battle. And I come to realize that back during that war, those were men. Either that or they had no faculty in their brain. For they marched in a straight line in an open field toward each other and just fired. And when you were wounded, later on, they said, here, bite on this piece of wood while we remove this pellet from your leg. Or while we saw your leg off. Amazing. Just amazing. What does that have to do with this morning's message? Nothing. But at the same time, say thank you for allowing us to privilege. Thank you for 
uh, you were in good hands. Mark chapter 8 was developed well. I asked my son how his elbow was this morning, for I did listen to his sermonic presentation, and he did well. I appreciate that. As a reminder, the congregation meeting that will be next Sunday evening, there is a very, very, very important issue that we must deal with at that meeting. We need to have you here. We need to have the membership here because it is that important of an issue. So please plan on being here. We'll be a little bit more uh, thorough in the presentation as we get to that evening, but uh, we need to make some changes as, as a congregation. So I, I, I beg of you to please be here. We need your input. So please be here. The passage that Pastor Steve read this morning is in and of itself not inclusive. Should have really covered over to chapter 6 to verse 8 because it is a continuation of a theme. But when you get to chapter 6 and verse 1 through 8, you have this passage that is very, very difficult to do in and amidst of combining both the thoughts of chapter 5, 11 through 14, and chapter 6. We would be here until the luncheon time, and I didn't think you would like that. So next week, we will deal with the continuation of chapter 5, 11 to 14, as it relates to what the apostle who wrote the book of Hebrews is trying to convey, which is spiritual maturity. And that's where we're at this morning. From the time that we are born, our parents and medical professionals are focused on three things. Our physical growth, our mental growth, and even, yes, even our psychological growth. And any lack in that particular area brings concern. We wonder why our children aren't measuring up to the, to the level that they're supposed to be at at a certain age. And maybe we even puff our chest out thinking that our child is even better than the statistics of that particular age. So what are we talking about? We, we're talking about setting standards, if you will, of physical growth. But how do we measure spiritual growth? What standard do we have that we can ultimately say that we've reached that standard and so we are spiritually mature? I don't think you'll find that in the scriptures. Spiritual maturity is a continuation process 
that begins from the moment that you've trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior until the time the Lord calls you home. In other words, you never stop learning. You're never supposed to stop learning. You're never supposed to get to that place of when you become totally satisfied with all that you know about Jesus Christ and say, I don't need to go any further. You won't find that in the scriptures either. And, and that's the issue that the writer of Hebrews is dealing with here in chapter 5, verses 11 through 14. In fact, we're going to do something terribly different in our morning worship service. I want you all on this side to stand up, all on this side to stand up, and I want you to change places. No, no, not, not that, no, no, not that. But what I do want, and, and you can help me out here without me pointing you out and saying you do this. I have passages of scripture that I want for individuals to volunteer to read from where you are. You'll stand, read it out loud so that everyone can hear. I want to engage you in this service this morning. Is that all right with everybody? Well, that's pretty weak. I'm telling you. <laughs> well, if it isn't too bad, I'm going to do it anyway. But anyway, I, I need someone, and this is what we're looking for. I need someone to turn, if you will, to Ephesians chapter 4. Who, who's going to do that for me? Ephesians chapter 4, verses 14 and 15. Okay, Dane, Dane Furster is going to do that. Amen. See, if you don't raise your hand, I'm going to call you out. Bill Troutman's going to turn to 1 Peter chapter 2, 2 to 3. Let me see who else can I pick on. This is the time you might want to close your eyes and think that you're praying. <laughs> oh, Lord, bless the pastor. Please have him not call on me this morning. Amen. No, I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that. Will you, Nicole? Thank you so much, dear. I need 1 Corinthians chapter 9, 24 to 27. Thank you. And one last one. Ephesians 4. Dustin, thank you. Ephesians 4, 11 to 16. Those are the passages that I'm going to engage you in as we go along in our presentation this morning. The Bible has much to say about spiritual growth, about maturing in Jesus Christ. In fact, in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, I'll read that one. In verse 20, it says, Brothers and sisters, don't be childish in your thinking, but be infants in regard to evil and adult in your thinking. We are to mature in our relationship with Jesus Christ. But Ephesians chapter 4, 14 and 15, Mr. Furster is going to stand up with the booming voice that he has as he's instructing his wife to cook meals, he is going to read for us this passage. 14 and 15, you said. 
should no longer be children, tossed to and fro, and carried about with every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. But, speaking the truth in love, they grow up in all things into him, who is the head, Christ. Amen. First Peter 2, 2 and 3. Dr. Troutman, if you will be so kind as to beller it out. As newborn babies desire the pure milk of the word, that you may grow thereby, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. Amen. We come into God's spiritual family only by one way. And it is ascribed for us in Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 that by grace you have been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. In our study of John chapter 14, you remember that Jesus said that I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Entering the spiritual family of God is just the first step. Growth must be produced from that particular situation. And that's what the writer of Hebrews is getting at. When he's talking about in verse 11 to 15 or 14, he's talking about things that they should be doing, but they're not. And so this particular passage is both instructive and also a warning. So as we grow in the spiritual, if you will, in our spiritual family, we have to come to understand even deeper things than what we even presently know. And so how do we do that? How do we measure that? 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 24 to 27, gives us some kind of a hint. Miss Nicole like you're telling TJ what he's supposed to do for the day. Read that out loud, please. Don't you know that the runners in a stadium all race, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way to win the prize. Now everyone who competes exercises self-control in everything. However, they do it to receive a crown that will fade away, but we a crown that will never fade away. Therefore, I do not run like one who runs aimlessly or box like one beating the air. Instead, I discipline my body and bring it under perfect control. Thank you so much. Talks about discipline. The term discipline is interesting because in the Greek it describes a place as well as an action. The word in the Greek for discipline is a gymnasium. That's what we have. You go to a gymnasium. To exercise, you go in gymnasium to punish yourselves. <laughs> Good Lord, have mercy. You, you go there in order to become better at something than you were when you entered it. And in that, as you are doing the action, you do become better than when you entered it. Did you find the word of God this morning? Fresh and new. I'm not getting many head shakes up and down. 
That's the gymnasium. This is the place that we come to and we get worked out, worked up for the purpose of becoming better than when we entered it from yesterday. That's what the writer of Hebrews is getting at. But one more verse, please. Ephesians chapter 4, 11 to 16. Dustin, if you would be so kind. Thank you. Amen. Thank you. Here's my notes, man. Come on up and... Go ahead. Go ahead, man. No, go ahead. Go ahead. Amen. Thank you. So what are we getting at? Just, just like natural growth, spiritual growth can also be stunted. I've been told, and maybe you've heard this, that when you're younger, you should not be drinking coffee because it'll stunt your growth. I presently should be about seven foot four. Because I got... I got weaned on coffee, eating coffee ice cream. It's a great way to keep kids jacked down. <laughs> you, you feed a child nothing but junk food. It will stunt their physical growth. But just like growth, that, uh, physical growth, spiritual growth can also be stunted. We can partake of the wrong spiritual food or even neglect, if you will, a sustenance of spirituality altogether. We may stumble backwards into childish things. We may even wallow in spiritual infancy. Don't want to get mature, satisfied only by knowing Jesus Christ and I don't want to know anything else. That's what the Apostle Paul warns us in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 when he says there'll be a day when we'll stand before the Lord Jesus Christ and give an account of the things that we have done and said by the way. And wood, hay, and stubble is burned up, and then it closes by saying, you'll be saved as yet just by fire. That's all. That's all you got. And so the apostle who wrote the book of Hebrews for us is tenderly, I think, but also adultering, if you will, 
a thought process that these believers should already know what he's talking about. As Pastor Steve read in verse 11, he says, And we have a great deal to say about this. About what? About what? Well, in the previous passage, Jesus Christ has been presented to us as our heavenly priest. He is the one who intercedes for us on behalf of the heavenly temple when it says in verse 10, as a high priest according to the order of Melchizedek. Now, if you're like many people who read that, they stumble over that name. They want to know who Melchizedek is. Why wasn't Jesus a priest after the order of Levi? Why is he forever, as it says previously in our passage, that he is forever after the order of Melchizedek as a high priest? Where does this character even come in? Well, what's interesting is his name appears very few times in the scriptures. In the book of Genesis, which we'll get to, Lord willing, next week, in chapter 14, Abraham meets him. And it's directly after a war, after a battle. Abraham has rescued his nephew Lot from being taken away. And he meets this one called Melchizedek, who, according to Genesis chapter 14, has no father, has no mother. He's a king and he's a priest in a little village called Salem. And Abraham gives him a tithe because of God getting them the victory. And that's it. That's it. His name is not brought up again until, as even the writer of the book of Hebrews mentions, in the book of Psalm 110 and verse 4. The poetry of David comes through as he recounts the words of God who's saying, you are forever after the order of Melchizedek. He's talking about the Messiah. Then it stops. No other mention of that name until we get to the book of Hebrews. And then it's mentioned seven times. When we get to chapter 7, then it will become perfectly clear. But we got to wallow through the marsh of chapter 5 and chapter 6. Because there's where the problem is. The writer of Hebrews is saying, you should have already known all of this. In fact, the writer says, now we even got to go back 
and relay the whole foundation of who even Jesus Christ is. You've forgotten him. You've left him behind. You've not taken the time to come to study him, to look at him, to even come to realize, as Jesus said in the wonderful book of Matthew, come unto me, all ye that are burdened and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. My burden is light. Come learn of me. For I am meek and mild. They didn't even do that. They were faced with something that began to draw them away from this truth. They became dull in their thinking. I have a translation that says they became lazy. They didn't want to learn. They weren't interested in that. I, I did a word study on that, that term, what it means, dull or lazy. And it's like this. The Greek word for dull has to do with slowness of perception due to moral laxness. It was the word used as an epithet for a mule. Now, mules are not your greatest thinkers. Mules are not your most intelligent animals. They're kind, they are kind of the dummies, as this writer says, of the horse line. They're basically only good for carrying the loads of others on their backs. You don't really ride them, you don't really exercise with them, you just kind of use them as labor for work because they are dull. Christians can be mule-minded. Christians can regress to the point where they are of little value to the things of God. Not because God made them that way, but because they have become that way. They have become dull of hearing. Think of it this, think of it this way. Think of a bored unambitious adolescent who has to be told several times to get up off the couch and do their chores. Can I get an amen from teenager parents? It's a trait of immaturity and irresponsibility. But now we must at least try to come to understand what are the causes of dullness? Why? What is it that we need to look out for? Sometimes if we know the causes, then we can keep ourselves from the consequences. Let me give you two causes of dullness according to our passage this morning. First is this. We become dull because we fail to grow up as we grow older. We fail to grow up as we grow older. I've come to realize this. Simply having gray hair, wrinkles, <laughs> and grandchildren doesn't necessarily bring spiritual knowledge and wisdom. 
I'm finding out in this phase of my life, I am finding out the little that I really do know. I have no idea of who this band is. You're going to go. People talk to me. Oh, have you heard this band? No. Now, if you want to talk about Vivaldi or Tchaikovsky, Beethoven, I know all the teenagers are going, (laughs) (laughs) no, they're not candy bars. They're composers. I'm glad that at least in my son's, Pastor Steve, my son, in his office, he has a record player. And I go in there, and what do I see on it? A vinyl disc of Tchaikovsky. And I'm going, it did happen, yes. There's a time. But in Job chapter 32, verses 7 and 8, we have a recording of one of Job's counselors, his advisors. He's the youngest one. His name is Elihu. And he is about to correct the other three advisors who have been giving Job the wrong information. And he says these words. He says, I thought that age should speak and maturity should teach wisdom. But it is the spirit of a person, the breath from the Almighty, that gives anyone understanding. The point is clear. Older doesn't necessarily mean wiser and more spiritual. Age should be an indicator of spiritual maturity as the author of Hebrews admits in verse 12 when he says, by this time you ought to be teachers. But they weren't. But in too many cases, people fail to grow up as they grow older. The second reason we become dull is because our bad habits prevent healthy developments. Without having a raising of hands, how many of you got bad habits? Look carefully at the spiritual habits cultivated by the individuals the author of Hebrews is writing to. They had become dead ends of doctrine rather than conduits of spiritual nourishment. They've become spiritually impacted. They've taken in, but they've not given out. And Dr. Tony Evans gets a pretty good illustration of of this particular situation when he writes these words. He says, most people have been at one time or another been on a treadmill to work out 
or to have a needed test done to see if there's a problem with their heart. This equipment serves to help a person walk at faster and faster paces, creating a sweat as they attempt to keep up with the pace of the walk. One thing for certain, though, a treadmill has an ability to get a person moving faster without taking them anywhere. Many Christians spiritually find themselves on a treadmill. Men and women run to and from church, to and from worship, to and from seminaries, to and from classes, to and from religious activities to discover that when it's all said and done, they're still stuck in the same place where they started. Become dull. They continued as students rather than growing into teachers. They had developed bad habit of taking in food but not giving it out to others. Verse 12. They preferred milk rather than solid food just like an infant. The phrase in verse 13 which says not accustomed to the word of righteousness characterizes the inexperience of new the inexperienced or a new Christian. When you have a cordless phone <coughs> that has been left off of the hook too long, it no longer works. The signal has lost its power and its influence. That phone must be rested back onto the base in order for it to become rejuvenated. One of the reasons that Christians are not transformed the way God wants them to be is that they've been away too long. We've been disconnected too long. Sometimes we're like a cell phone as we're traveling on a freeway when we come to what's called a dead spot. There's no connection. There's no information coming in and there's no information going out. We lose contact with God. That's what's happening in this passage. And just as a baby is unskilled when it comes to thinking, acting, and speaking in grown-up ways, immature believers continue to dwell on the basics of ABCs of their faith. In fact, the author says the Hebrews needed to relearn the elementary principles of the oracles of God. One individual wrote it this way. Dr. Barclay is his name when he commented on this term elementary principles he said this in grammar it means the letters of the alphabet a b and c in physics it means the four basic elements of which the world is composed oxygen carbon hydrogen nitrogen in geometry it means the elements of proof like the point and the straight line in philosophy, it means the first 
elementary principles with which students begin. It is the sorrow of the writer of Hebrews that after many years of Christianity, his people have never got past the basics. They are like children who do not know the difference between right and wrong. This morning's presentation, this passage is first a warning that we must all take care that we notice it. It is possible for a Christian to stop growing. It's their choice. It is, unfortunately, in that choice that that individual begins to fail at thriving. Our spiritual lives wither slowly as we fail to receive the proper nutrients necessary for spiritual growth. We need to heed what the writer of 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 12 says, let him who thinks he stands take heed that he does not fall. And no matter how costly or closely we walk with God, we need to realize that every wrong step is one step off the right path and a step closer to the edge of the cliff. To keep us from taking even a few missteps from the straight and narrow, let me remind you of a few practical principles of maintaining spiritual growth. Number one, Partake of solid spiritual food. We offer for all of you copies of the daily bread. They're out here on our information tower. They're very good for getting going in the morning. But if you're relying on the daily bread for 10 years, you're not going to grow. And I found out in my reading of some of those articles, they have nothing to do with the passage. And it frustrates me. And so I have to dig deeper. Don't rely only on milk. When you eat prime rib, you're as close to heaven as you can get on this earth. But it takes time. You don't rush through that. It takes time. You chew it. And you chew it again. And the savorness in your mouth as you begin to swallow it will ultimately give you strength. And when we come to the word of God and we begin to chew on this word, it goes deeper than a poem at the end of a little article. It goes into the depthiness of who God is and who Jesus Christ is and what is my relationship to them. 
It goes beyond just becoming saved. It goes beyond that into being saved, growing and maturing in the things of Jesus Christ, wrestling with this passage that we get to next week, Lord willing. I'm banking on the rapture, but if it doesn't happen, we got to deal with that passage. So much so when you begin to review that, you come to the stark reality that we can make conscious decisions not to grow in Jesus Christ. And God will say, if that's what you want, that's what you can have. And you will stay there until I call you home. That's the difficult things we got to stretch and we got to wrestle with. We got to eat and become encouraged in the things of Christ. Isn't Jesus worth knowing more about than that he just died on the cross? And I'm not saying that to be little. He died on the cross and paid the price of my sin and your sin. And all he asks is that you will believe. But dear people, that's only the beginning. Now we begin to walk. We begin to grow. We begin to eat and feast upon his words so that we don't need to go back to the elementary things, the ABCs. We need to eat solid spiritual food. Secondly, we need to practice righteous living We need to practice. The saying about getting to Carnegie Hall is just as true then as it is today. When a traveler asked someone in New York City, how do you get to Carnegie Hall? He said, practice, practice, practice. Practice is needed to effectively apply the word of God to our everyday lives. It's more than you patiently sitting there wondering when is pastor going to get done? It goes to the point that when you walk out that doors that the word of God begins to take over your life and you live differently than when you came in. You purpose to honor Jesus Christ in all that you say and all that you do. We need to put it into practice. I had a seminary professor that said, information without application is nothing more than dead orthodoxy. It's not about going through the motions here, people. It's coming about to understand, to put into practice what the Holy Spirit teaches us through his word. Whereby it's no longer about us. The Apostle Paul says that well in Galatians 2.20, I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless I live, yet not I, but it's Christ who lives in me. And the life which I now live, I live in the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. 
That's the passion of heaven. That's the desire of putting into practice good spiritual food. Lastly, exhibit a trained sense of discernment. In Hebrews 5.14 it says, Senses trained to discern good and evil are a sure mark of spiritual maturity. Taking in solid food and turning it into good habits through continued disciplined practice will result in a sharpening of our ability to distinguish between right and wrong, true and false, wise and foolish, helpful and harmful. I, I should have brought it this morning, but I didn't think it was pertinent for this particular thing. But this past week, I heard a sermon from Dallas Theological Seminary in chapel. And the individual began to give statistics. And he started off by saying, is this described the NBA or the NFL? And it talked about some of the things that they were in that were highlighted in that. Whereas he said 117 individuals are involved directly or indirectly in the bankruptcy of two businesses. 71 people, 71 can't even get a credit card because their credit is so bad. Seven are doing time or have done time because of abuse. And it goes on and on and on. And then he comes about and says, now, how many would say that is people described in the NBA? Then he said, how many of you said that describes people in the NFL? And he said, you're both wrong. That describes our 435 people in Congress of the United States today. Sad. But what even is worse is that seeps into the church. And we should know better. We should know the difference between good and evil. We should be able to distinguish that which is moral and immoral. We should be able to use the word of God as our prime rib to eat in order to grow in the things of Christ so that we no longer need to be taught the elementary things of God. Spiritual maturity allows individuals to respond with wisdom and skill for whatever comes their way. The good news is, is if we are diligent in partaking of solid spiritual food and eager, and eager to maintain practice of righteous living, and if we continue these over the long haul, 
then we can expect to grow spiritually and to exhibit a trained sense of discernment. But dear people, the choice is yours, as we'll get to next week. Oh, these principles given to us by God and applied to our lives by the power of the Holy Spirit will keep us on the right path. They will train us for spiritual progress. We will be able to know and understand the principles of Melchizedek. That, dear people, is exciting. Can we pray? <coughs> Gracious Father, the passage, though short in its verses, but it is steeped in the climbing of a mountain, it takes time, it takes effort, it takes determination. But the results are well worth the journey. Oh God, I pray that this morning that our hearts have been touched by your hand, by your word, by your spirit. And we would determine to not remain as babes, but to grow in maturity. Thank you for the time spent in your word, and I pray it will not be soon forgotten. But we will dwell upon it throughout the rest of this day and into the rest of this week. And guide us, O oh Lord God, for your glory and for your honor. And I'll praise you in your name. Amen. Dennis, come and lead us into one song, please. The first one. Take your, take your hymn books and turn to number 271, 271.